0: Well, good evening, men. It is good to be here tonight, and it's good to take a little break from our study in the book of Proverbs uh, to spend some time with two of our our elder uh, our elders here at Grace Community Church, and I'll introduce them in just a moment. But the last two Wednesdays, we looked at the topic of work and what the book of Proverbs has to teach us about work. And so connected with that, uh, because there's always brings up a lot of practical questions related to work. It's central in our lives. God has made us to work because God himself is a God of works, and he's created us in his image. Uh, we have been created to reflect his glory. And in, the, in, in his works, we see his, his infinite wisdom combined with his omnipotence to produce anything and everything that is beautiful and beneficial to us, and we as men in a in a small way are able to reflect back God's glory to Him through combining the wisdom God gives to us with the strength He gives to create those analogous works in a little way. And you know, we are—it's—it's it's amazing. Out of all of God's creation, we are those alone who can truly create. Uh, the animal kingdom doesn't do that; they procreate. But there's no intentional creation of of works, and that's reserved only for man. So tonight we're going to talk about that, and we've got a lot of questions. I thank you for sending those in to me. We have many ranging from training children how to work to retirement, dealing with issues related to unemployment, unemployment benefits, trying to find work. So we have a lot to do uh, tonight, and hopefully we'll get through many of those questions. Some of your questions... I, I won't get to tonight. I just know that because there's so many good questions, and I know we need to take time with each one of them. We have Chris Hamilton with us tonight. Chris is the chairman of our Elder Board and has been for a number of years. How many years has it been already?
1: Ten or 12 <laughs> years? I think it's 12 It's been years.
0: that long that yeah. microphones have come in since <laughs> he started as chairman of the elders. So New technology. Wow. <laughs> uh, he, chairman of our Elder Board, and so uh, when we have elders' meetings uh, – we are blessed to have Chris lead us through those discussions, and then we have Han Cho as well, one of our elders, one of our younger elders, and uh, yeah, you've got some young kids in. Anyway. Microphone, microphone, <laughs> right, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let them tell us a little bit about their lives, and I'll begin with the first question. And so I'll start with you, Chris. And the first question is this. Uh, take a few moments to provide some context about your area of work. But as you do that, begin with a little bit of history about yourself, uh, how the Lord saved you, and and uh, then where He's how he's brought you to where you are today.
1: All right. I was um, uh, born and raised here in the San Fernando Valley. I started attending Grace Community Church. There was a new young pastor here uh, you may have heard of named John MacArthur. He'd been here for five or six months. Um, I was in uh, first grade. And, um, so I've been around here a long time. Yes, I am that old. And, um, um, in third grade, I know that I understood, I was at vacation Bible school and I understood that God was God and I was not. I understood I was a sinner. I understood and completely that day viscerally understood that I was going to hell and I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to honor the Lord obey the Lord, I wanted to repent, and I wanted to live for Him, and I gave my life to Christ. I prayed the prayer, and I think in my uh, late teens and early 20s uh, began the other half of salvation. You see, I thought in third grade I got saved because I prayed a prayer, and what has been mind-blowing since I was about 20 years old was when the lights came on and I began to understand that God saved me that he touched my life, that outside of his um, intervention, um, I would be going to hell. And um, that is uh, something that continues to unfold for me um, all these years later, every Sunday, every day, every time I open the the Bible and I see that for some reason God chose me. <clears throat> if I've had a struggle in life spiritually, it isn't that I'm saved um, because knowing I'm a sinner and that God is holy. It's understanding how and why in the world God would ever save me. I know me. Um, and so i um, that has been the, my walk with the Lord. I don't have a spectacular story of um, wild and flagrant rebellion, um, you know, making headlines or anything like that, but I know my heart. I know in my heart there's been rebellion and sin, and so I'm grateful for such a great salvation, for Such a great gospel for a great Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, every day I get older, I look forward more and more to glory. Um, And along the way, uh, my father was a CPA, he was an accountant, and I grew up working in his CPA firm and came to the wisdom about 19, 20 years old that I would do anything but be an accountant. In a public accounting firm, my father actually offered the firm to me, and I said, "Oh no, 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 i 'm going to go do my own thing so I went out of college i went to uh, i got became a cPA and went to work for a fortune five hundred company and through a lot of circumstances, um, I ended up back in public accounting and um, so i've had a firm uh, with a couple partners since um, the early nineties Um, we've had, uh, we've owned a technology firm, which we sold a couple years ago and we have an asset management firm. So I'm pretty immersed in the accounting finance world with a specialty. I am what's called a forensic accountant. So I do a lot of, um, fraud work, investigation work, um, um, valuation of intangible assets, business, all of that, all of it in the context of complex civil litigation. So I work for lawyers and I spend a lot of time in court testifying in a case next week, testified in a trial last week. That's my life, is preparing for trial and and um, um, doing all of the spade work to get ready to go to court. So that's a quick summary of what I do for a living. Thank you, Chris. And that's in
0: some ways connected also to your work. But before you get into that, Han, tell us a little bit about your background as well, and then how the Lord has worked in your life to bring you where you are today.
2: Yeah, well, uh, it was my privilege actually to give my extended testimony here at Men of the Word a few years ago, and uh, so just, uh, you know, I, I hear Chris's salvation testimony and I praise the Lord for just having, uh, you know, parents and just being um, in the church and not having many years of uh, of life in rebellion, you know, because I did lead a life of wild rebellion as, as Chris had mentioned, and uh, I was a... Uh, Secular leftist, I would say, and uh, just a hardcore leftist, Democrat, uh, really, uh, you know, all about the world. I was an entertainment lawyer uh, all the way up until the age of 34, and that's uh, when God uh, sent a dear man who's one of my best friends in the world. Steve Cooley is his name. He's a TMS grad uh, pastoring in Massachusetts. And Steve had been a faithful messenger of the gospel to me. And during a time of crisis in my life, uh, he once again shared the gospel with me. And I was reading the book of John and then the book of Luke. And when I got to Luke 23, 47, which was right after Christ had died on the cross, uh, it was the Roman centurion saw what had happened and glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man in the NKJV. And that was the verse that God used to call me to Himself, and I just knew that Jesus really was innocent. He was righteous. He was the Son of God, and uh, the scales fell from my eyes. And uh, thankfully, I, I just I, I just knew that Jesus was God, and that the Word of God, the Bible, was the Word of God. And so that began a series of a lifelong series of discipleship, really, that began at this church in December of 2004, and I've been here ever since, and it's been a great joy. Uh, I've had the privilege of serving as an elder since the summer of 2014. And uh, yeah, it's just been great to be on the board with these men. And so that's my testimony. Uh, I got married here. I, I, uh, my wife and I met in the basement of the Tower Building at Foundation, the uh, College and Career Ministry. And uh, yeah, we have three beautiful children uh, Abby, who's five, Elizabeth, who's three, and Joshua, who's one. So uh, yeah, we've been greatly blessed. Uh, that that's basically, uh, an encapsulation of my life in terms of my work, which you had asked, uh, I'm a lawyer and I do, um, uh, transactional law, which is contracts trans uh, you know, deal work basically. And so you have an accountant, a lawyer and a professor, and that's like a joke, you know, an accountant, a lawyer, a professor walk into a bar, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, oh, oh, the bar only serves non-alcoholic the legal drinks. Bar. I was going to say, yeah. not you know. these ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. the not bar association. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh yeah the bar exam but uh yeah so um I've been a lawyer for quite a while and uh you know just I've been working uh, for a number of years in-house as a lawyer for a corporation, which is to say this company, uh, I do work exclusively for this company. I don't do outside work uh, typically. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I work in the biotech industry, and I just started a new job very recently. So if you happen to think of it, I'd love your prayers that I would be a good witness and uh, make a good first impression and do a good job uh, honoring the Lord. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been, really, um, it's been a real blessing to my life and to my family, and I really enjoy what I do.
0: That's great. We started off with the greatest work, which is the work of salvation in both of these men's lives, and it's interesting to see the uniqueness of how the Lord works in our lives and bringing us to, to faith in, in his son, Jesus. So we've talked about now your, also your, uh, your, your jobs, your careers. If I could ask you in, in uh, just a few sentences, how would you define your theology of work? And we'll start with Han and then go to Chris. Well, I'm
2: actually going to pitch it to Chris because my theology of work is largely based on uh, what he has taught me over the years, and he's actually taught uh, a number of classes on the theology of work. And I would love for for Chris. Do you want me? I can regurgitate. No, no, please. uh.
1: All right. Well, and I loved listening to your series. I got to listen to the two week series that you did. Appreciate it. So what I'm going to say is is a summary of what you said, and that is that work is um, a gift from God. Um, it is perfect. It is good as is what, what he created us for. Um, work is a reality of life. It's all the way through the Bible. Whether you're a man or a woman, you're a worker. Um, and it was interesting at the elder meeting last week. I think it was at the elder meeting. John MacArthur was walking through a quick recitation of all the places where it talks about the works of God. God is a worker. Um, so, work is a gift. It's a fact of life. Work is difficult. Ecclesiastes, in particular, along with Proverbs, details how hard work is. Is work hard, men? Yeah. It's hard. Um, um, and um, um, so that—that's kind of. And, and work is a service to the Lord. I guess that's the uh, the rest of it. Is that what we do is unto, should be unto the Lord? It's the work He's given us to do. answer. Anyway, there you go. A few sentences.
2: And I would just say, uh, you know, you make this point so well and so often that, uh, you know, work existed before the fall, that that Adam was working in the garden. And so work is is, is a good thing. And it's uh, something that we can do. And uh, even though certainly work has been corrupted by the fall, it's harder, as you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the thorns in the field and things of that nature. But uh, it's a good thing for us to do.
0: Are there any biblical texts that really stand out for you in forming your understanding of work that may even uh, you know help you in those moments of weariness or uh, malaise
1: that, that you go back to those go-to verses? <clears throat> There's a bunch. Um, you know, I, I think um, Ephesians 6 where it, it starts with slaves and what that word really means is do-loss servants. Which right there sets the tone. That's our attitude going into work. Servants or slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. There's the hard part. The sincerity of your heart as to who? Christ. Um, That verse right there encapsulates the reminder um, of what work is about, not by, not By way of eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And then it goes on to say, for those of you who are bosses, masters do the same thing to them. Um, And, you know, a good portion of my career, I've been a partner in a firm, president of the company, and um, um, that's a two-way street. And I know that applies to a lot of you, too. That's
2: good. I'm going to read to you First Thessalonians 410 b through 12. And by the way, if I'm on my phone, I'm not texting. I'm, I'm just using my Bible app. But
1: New technology.
2: <laughs> but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And I just think that's such a key verse because we are to make that our ambition. It, it's a goal. It's a good goal.
0: Yeah. Good. good. So Ephesians six and First Thessalonians four, and we could turn to other texts as well. But I want to keep going through these. Did you have another text, Chris, that you wanted I have to? Whole bunch, but let's... You, okay. Well, what what I wanted to ask was uh, still related to this, uh, to, to the theology of work or salvation of work uh, and work um, has how has conversion affected your view of work so if you can go back in time to prior to your your eyes being opened and experiencing regeneration if you can pinpoint that uh, sometimes it's a little bit harder for some than others but do you, do you see the difference in your life today compared to how you used to view work as you lived in in rebellion against the lord or in apathy
2: to to his ways Yeah, I I definitely see that very clearly in my life in the sense that all through school, uh, law school, even the early to middle even part of my career, um, you know, I was all about getting the maximum benefit for the minimum input, maximum output, minimum input. That was like the theory of my life was just, hey, how can I I get the most out of this and put in the least amount of work? And, you know… Just that was true in school. That was true in in work and and all of those things. And, you know, it wasn't like a light switch where God converted me and then suddenly I was, uh, you know, the best worker in the world or anything like that. I'm still not. But I would say that in my attitude, I realized that that wasn't an honorable attitude, that I really need to work just like Chris was reading in Ephesians 6. I needed to work as for the eyes of the Lord, and that meant a sincerity and an earnestness in my work that I would really try to do a good job and and put in extra effort. And, you know, look, if, you know, there are situations where, look, you've done everything on your plate and, you know, you've asked your your employer, hey, is there anything more that I can do? And he says no, then, you know, what are you going to do at that point? But in the types of jobs I've had, there's always, it seems like there's always more to do. So, Uh, I would say that uh, I definitely noticed that right away in my heart that I needed to come correct on that attitude. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the greatest deceptions of Satan goes right back to the Garden of Eden in every sense. And back in the Garden in Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. You can translate that to work. That's what he created the man to do. He put him in the Garden to do it and said work. And um, work is a gift. And as a young man, I remember grousing about work. Even early in my marriage, Mm. I had a habit of grousing about work. And my dear wife is the one, in her own sweet way, who forced me to stop that habit. Mm. It's a cultural habit, Um, even in the church, to walk around and grouse about my boss, about my work, about how I don't get to do what I want to do when, in fact, I'm doing exactly what God's created me to do. And the flip side of that is laziness. Um, Part of the deception of Satan is he takes what is so good and what is perfect and what is right and is able to flip it so that we view it as what is bad and negative and horrible. Um, And it takes discipline to love work Mm -hmm. and to do work. And, um, you know, you have the fall of man in Genesis 3. It says uh, um, that the Lord said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've sinned, basically, um, curses the ground because of you and toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Guess what? Work's never going to get easy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens is because of work, you're going to eat. And if you don't work, you're not going to eat. There was not that connection before the fall of man. That is the connection now. And I remember my father teaching me that. And just to finish the story, I love this. This was pointed out to me as a young man. After God pronounces the curse, it says in verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent Adam out from the Garden of Eden to do what, do you think? To cultivate it and keep it. Go work. And the very next verse, it says, so God drove the man out. He told Adam, go work. And what did Adam do? Apparently he just stayed. He didn't want to go. God drove them out. And I remember learning as a young man from a dear man, my best friend until he died, my father. Um, You can do it um, by choice or you can be driven to it, but you will do it. Yeah. Don't be lazy.
2: No, I think that's excellent, Chris. And, you know, you were saying something about... You know, grumbling and grousing about work that really struck me, and I was just thinking about, of course, the Israelites You know, and all of their grumbling and complaining, and we know that's sin. But the other thing that I want to point out is First Peter 2.18, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And I think that's a key verse for us to understand if we're workers that sometimes we're going to have an unreasonable boss, and that doesn't mean that we you know do you know if the boss tells us to do something that's sinful or or dishonest, that's not to say that we do that, but you know generally speaking, most bosses aren't going to be that overt, you know they might do something or ask you to do something that seems a little unreasonable, but look first yeah. Peter two eighteen is yeah. instructive on that point
0: yeah it, it really is one of these respectable sins, to use the terminology of Jerry Bridges, that men complain about work. It's just what we do. In the church, even, you know, you ask the question, how did work go today? And instantly, we look at all the negatives and complain about them, certainly to our
1: wives. <laughs> and in front of our children. And in front it of our children. The, yeah,
0: the bad thing. And it, it enforces what is already inherent in their sinful nature, and, and that is to have a certain view of, of work, uh, I want to move on now to to some more uh, practical issues related to the choice of work. And so one of the questions that was sent uh, in from the men was this. How can a believer be sure that God has designed him for a certain career or kind of labor? How does a believer discern God's will with respect to work? So uh, why don't I start with you again, Chris? What kind of counsel would you give for this believer who's wondering how to discern God's will for him in
1: his choice of a career or pathway of work? Well, I do this a lot. Hannah and I do this a lot. We both have been involved in uh, Crossroads in in the college ministry, so I have this conversation a lot. And um, I I think somebody that's uh, obsessing, if you will, on what career should I choose is missing um, uh, what is excellent for what might be good, and that is... Let's talk for a minute about what God's called you to be as a man. Um, and then a subset of that is what kind of a career are you going to do? Um, and I don't want to open up the big topic of uh, what God's um, designed you as a, as the role for a man, but for a young man who wants to be a, a husband and a father, he needs to know how to love a woman, how to lead a woman and children, how to um, provide for them and protect them. And the provision for that family... Um, for that woman and that family will drive reality. Um, And so a career, um, choosing a career is a subset of all of that. And all of that is a subset of um, who are you before the Lord and is Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you saved? Um, So this question is a great question. I don't mean to minimize it. I'm just saying we have to put it in its proper priority And I think a couple things happen. I knew for a while I was going to be a doctor. (laughs) That's kind of like saying I was going to play in the NBA. Okay? There's realities. I'm not going to be in the NBA. I'm not going to be a doctor. Um, And so I think the Lord leads us to our level of competence and our level of skill Um, and I tell young men all the time, there's three things you need to have. I I say this in my firm, when I'm interviewing people, I say this to young men interviewing in other firms, you need to have a curiosity. Um, you need to strive for competence and you need to have character. If you have those three things, you're going to do well in whatever you do. Um, and it's not whether you have a glamorous job or whether you love your work, it's whether you do your work. With a curiosity and a competence or an excellence and with character that 's what matters and so whether that 's in the medical profession, legal profession um, or as a plumber, there is no uh, strata there is one being more important than the other. They are all means to provide for a family and to honor the Lord in your work
2: no I think that 's excellent, and you know what I would add in terms of uh, you know how can we discern god 's will when it comes to these things. You know, there's this notion of calling, right? And and I think that in the Christian community, you know, when people talk about that, oh, what's my calling? And I think sometimes people get the sense that it's some mystical thing that, you know, oh, we got to, you know, follow, you know, maybe the Lord is saying this to me, maybe the Lord is saying that to me. But, you know, calling is really, ultimately, it's about what you choose to do. And a lot of times you can determine your calling by checking and seeing whether there are outside affirmations of that calling. Like if you think you're called to be a basketball player you know, but you, you just never score and you're, you're horrible at the sport, that's probably some good affirmations that you're not called to be a basketball player.
1: Why did you look at me when it, you said I mean,
2: that? You know, <laughs> well, we, you did mention basketball, so that was just the reason. But uh, you know, when you think about – I mean you know, you know, obviously we you know, can't choose a line of work that is sinful. And we shouldn't choose a line of work where we're continually stumbling into sin. Uh, But, you know, beyond that, there's a broad amount of Christian liberty when it comes to what field of work you choose. So, you know, I think just being able to have that outside affirmation, hey, are you any good at this? Are you able to make a living out of this is a huge issue because, you know, this kind of mystical follow your heart nonsense that you, a lot of youngsters here in college, it's like, oh, I want to go be an underwater basket weaver or, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know how much calling there is for that. I don't know how practical that's going to be. You know, if you look at even uh, if, if more students would look at the various majors that they're thinking about pursuing and looking about the average income that come from those majors for an average person and or the placement levels. Boy, that would be a huge first step into, into you know maybe that would be some helpful wisdom, getting some counsel from other people about you know, what I would pursue. And really one of the most impactful um, stories and wisdom that I've received on this issue came from Dave Muxlow, one of our elders, really just a wise man, and he had told the story about how he had studied to be a pilot when he was young, and he, he even got these acceptance letters to a commercial airline to be a pilot. But then he was called off to the Vietnam War, and he was in the Navy, I think, right? And he was in the Navy there for a few years, and then he came back out of the Navy, and was like, okay, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm, I had to go serve our country, but I'm here. I'm ready to be a commercial pilot. And all these airlines shut him down, saying, you know, we're so sorry, but we have all of these Air Force veterans who have tons of hours, and they're way ahead of you now. And so he had to kind of figure out what to do. And so his father had a construction company, and even though construction was not the first thing on his mind, he did it. And, you know, he, he became very good at it. And we all
1: benefit from it.
2: Amen. You know, just the, the work that Dave has overseen on this campus is tremendous. But here's the thing that I think was such a helpful realization to me as, a, as when I was younger. Dave said, look, you know, again, it might not have been my first choice. But I came to realize as I, you know, was having a family and, and married and having a family I would have hated being a commercial pilot because it would have taken me away from my family for long periods of time. And meanwhile, when I'm running my own business, you know, I have much more flexibility. I'm able to be with my children and with my wife and be involved in their lives at a level that I never would have been able to as a commercial pilot. And so that was always such an impactful story to me because it was just showing how God's hand was on a situation. And it brought him, even though it wasn't his first choice, to what ended up being a tremendous blessing.
0: Yeah, that's good. It, it was one of the uh, points that I brought out in in our sessions on work from the book of Proverbs, just an illustration that as a young man growing up in my own uh, father's home, uh, I never heard him describe work, as the choice of being a farmer, as something that drew him because of his heart. His, he, he felt this mystical draw to it, but what what made him content as a farmer was that this was the way that he could raise a family, supply for them, and be a, a man of God in that work. That was the priority, as you were saying, Chris. It's, it's not my top priority is finding something that I like to do or that I have this mystical draw to. It's I know I need to be a man. I know I need to be productive, and this is something I can do that will allow me to care for a family And be beneficial in society. The other things then come next after that. But unfortunately, a lot of men miss the open doors of opportunity because they believe that they have to have this mystical calling. And if they might feel something, they've got to work there or they'll never find any kind of contentment in work later. And Dave Muxlow is a good example of that. That leads and it really ties to this next question. And maybe we can even deal with this one pretty quick because we've touched on it already. We hear the primary counsel that is often given to young people is, and I heard this even just the other day uh, from somebody, I think it was on the news or or in the media somewhere, find the job you you enjoy doing and then do that. And so what happens is young people then spend years jumping around jobs to find something that is enjoyable. Is this really a key consideration when choosing a career or choosing a path of work? Start with you. I I see you're looking in your Bible, Chris, but let's start with you, Han.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is some element of enjoyment in your work, right? I I do think that, um, you know, there are, again, you're, you're looking through that catalog of majors, and you have some practical considerations in mind, but... You know, there may be a, a major that is going to allow you to earn a living, but, it, you know, hey, I've got a greater interest in this. And, you know, that that may be totally fine. Psalm thirty seven four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's not, uh, you know, presenting God as a genie granting wishes, certainly. But what that's saying is that if you are... Delighting yourself in the Lord, if you are living a godly life, and that 's important because a lot of people assume they are, but they're in rebellion in different areas of their life. but if you 're leading a godly life and delighting yourself in the Lord, God will implant godly desires in your heart. Our pastor john he he has a tremendous message on this uh, on this this very psalm in terms of decision making and uh, you know it 's really incredible, I recommend it to you, but um, you know when it comes to these matters there's such a danger in just kind of blithely following our heart. Because what does the scripture say about our heart? Jeremiah 17, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So again, this is where, you know, and this is so important, especially for younger people, because one thing I remember John also said is just like younger people are at a stage in life where every decision they make, you know, could really their life could turn on these types of decisions, job, college or not college, you know, who you marry, and yet they're at a stage in life when they are least equipped in terms of wisdom and able to make those decisions well. And this is why it's so important to be involved in the local church, to have mentors in your life, people who can help you think through these things. Because you know our Jeremiah seventeen nine heart is not the thing to be relied on. Yeah,
1: that's good. You have anything to add, Chris? Yeah, real quick. Um, you know, someone who's searching for the dream of the work that they're gonna love doesn't understand that work is purposeful. That's the other thing I should have said at the beginning, that there is a specific purpose for work. And the end of that is um really Ecclesiastes four, seven, and eight, I looked again at Vanity under the sun. There's a certain man without dependence, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it's a grievous task. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 7, and 8. You can go back and read that later. That is a picture of someone who works very successfully, but doesn't understand why he's doing it. And the purpose of work, nowhere in the Bible does it say um, that the primary purpose of work is for your um, pleasure at the expense of the other priorities that the Lord's put in your life. The purpose of work is to provide, um, to sleep well. There's verses that talk about that. Um, To create wealth, to provide for the future. But nowhere in all of that is so that you enjoy every day at work. And by the way, that is a carrot that people chase. And you all know, because some of you are, I'll call you more mature, The more mature among us knows nobody enjoys their work every day, and sometimes not for a really long time. Yeah, and that's why we
0: long for heaven, because we will work there too, and that's the place where we will enjoy every single moment of that labor, and heaven is not right now. It sure isn't. (laughs) Now, one of the purposes of work is to glorify God, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So if we put aside self-satisfaction as a lower priority and set the purpose as glorifying God and then providing for others, let's look at that first priority of of glorifying God. How can someone look at their work and say, okay, I know this is glorifying to God? Chris, why don't we start with you again? What are some things to, to look for, characteristics to know that this kind of work is something that pleases my Lord?
1: Yeah, and Ephesians 6 is what I go back to. It starts with slave, do loss. You and I, men, um, contrary to the culture and maybe even how you were raised and what your parents told you when you were growing up, you are not the boss. It doesn't matter what your job is. It says do loss, slave, and then servant, um, a couple times in Ephesians 6. That's our role from from birth to death, but certainly in adulthood. Every moment of your day is devoted to the service of other people, your boss as unto who the Lord. The Lord. We are servants of the Lord. I'm a servant to Ann. I raise Ann and I raised three daughters every day of my life that they were in my home. I was devoted to serving those three little girls who grew up to be three young women um, and I think that's the characteristic. I think that is the humility of understanding where we are in the pecking order, and we're not on the top. We are at the lowest slave, do loss, servant, with joy Amen. from our heart. Um, that's the characteristic that I think honors the Lord in our work, and it's very hard. Because it's contrary to our natural nature, it requires the discipline of loving work, understanding why we love work, and knowing who we're really working for, and it's not ourselves.
0: And that's even contrary to what society is now telling us. And that's why we have the big problem with socialism today, the the distaste for any kind of work and trying to find this kind that will give me satisfaction instantaneously. And when we can break that mindset that's caused by the flesh and realize I work to the, be- to the glory of God and the benefit of others, and then I reap the reward after that, it, it just changes everything. And uh, it, it solves the question or it solves the dilemma that a lot of men are in. They just can't find work, and it's because in, in many cases they're looking for something that they just will never find, and they're forgetting that fundamental – reality. I work to glorify God, and then I work to the benefit of others, and then after that as a self-satisfaction in that.
2: you have anything to add to that? Yeah, huh? you know, you were talking about socialism, and, you know, we see it all around us, and really what socialism breeds is a world or, or a nation full of sluggards, right? And I happen to teach a message from the Proverbs on the, the, the sluggard, and, um, you know, the four points of that message were that a sluggard fails to initiate fails to persevere, fails to control desires, and fails to esteem others. And so one way you can distinguish yourself increasingly in this fallen world is to not be a slugger, to be a hard worker, to be joyful, rejoice always, as it says in the scriptures. Like Chris was saying, boy, that will already put you apart. If you initiate, if you persevere, if you control your desires and impulses, and if you Do indeed esteem others. You know, again, speaking about Pastor John the other night, he was just talking about leadership. And, you know, one thing that a good leader does is to esteem and elevate and be gracious to everyone around him, including the ones that are under him and that 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 person is leading. And, you know, basically they they lift and esteem the people around them. And, and again, these things will set you apart and, and people will notice that. And hopefully they will praise our Father because of it. And, you know, it will open doors and opportunities.
1: And that's a, that's a great uh, summary of the sluggard in Proverbs 6. I just want to highlight that I don't know if you realize that in Proverbs 6, when it says, go to the ant, sluggard, that is a father talking to his son. Mm-hmm. That's, whoa, we're not supposed to do that, are we? Really? Call our son a sluggard? And the other thing is, what you, your outline is outstanding. I've heard this message. Um if you were to sum all that up, the sluggard is arrogant. I don't know if you realize that, but laziness is arrogance. It's the exact opposite of humble service. And it says that elsewhere in Proverbs. You said it really well. You, showed, uh, you took us to several places where it shows that, but the sluggard is arrogant. And it takes enormous pride to embrace and live the lifestyle of a sluggard to your own destruction.
0: And, and even getting back to socialism, the thing that so often drives those promoting socialism is the hatred that's, that my labor is going to benefit somebody else and make someone else wealthy. Yeah, it's coveting. That's
2: one of the big ten, right? Thou shalt not covet, yeah. but it's coveting personifi- you know, yeah. uh, uh, exemplified within a system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me get to a real practical question here, uh, and it's, uh, it's this one. Uh, My entire adult life, I've struggled to find jobs, even entry-level jobs at age 18. At 26, I entered a master's degree teaching program looking to earn a stable living, but since graduating, I have only had teaching jobs for a year at a time and am now out of work. My wife, on the other hand, is liked by everyone and seems to get every job that she applies for. She is quickly promoted would you say that God's sovereign hand sometimes holds men back from work for certain reasons? Who wants to take that one first?
1: Chris? I'll say, okay, I'll say yes. Go. Make sure I got the question right. Does, would you say that God's sovereign hand holds men back from work for certain reasons? Yes. It could very well be. And I don't know who wrote this, and please don't be offended, but it, would tell, it screams to me that you're not a teacher, that maybe you're pursuing something and the, and, and we have stories in all three of our lives and you do too, where the Lord uses people and circumstances to drive you down a different driveway or different street. Um, and you have to read that and you have to have the humility to say, I've got a lot of education and training, but it's not happening for me rather than look at it as I wasted my time and and doggone it! I'm not going to let go of this this bone. I'm going to be a teacher, whether I'm good at it or I can get hired or not. You That's called the go.
2: sunk cost fallacy, by the way.
1: <laughs> That's right. I love these accounting terms from a lawyer. Woo! That warms my heart. <laughs> For the rest I, of us, I, <laughs> why don't you expand
2: on the sunk cost fallacy? I mean, you you, you can't look back and just say, "Look, I've uh, you know, this is like the idea of chasing an investment. You know, you can't look back and say, "Oh, I've you know, I've spent all of this time and money." You know, you really have to look at the present moment and see what's profitable now. And, you know, so many times people stay in unprofitable investments, as an example, because they've already invested so much. But then the answer may be, look, I just got to cut my losses, get out, and then focus on what may be profitable moving forward. But the accountant can explain it better, I'm sure.
1: Well, and I love the description of of your wife up here because that's my wife too. She's better looking. She's more articulate. She's more talented. She's way smarter than me. Should we have invited her and you should have invited her? <laughs> she has way better things to say about all this than I do. Um, and when I uh, started dating her, she was working in Hollywood as an assistant producer. Uh, She worked with the number one producer in Hollywood and probably could have had his job eventually. And to watch her step down, step back and say, I want to be a wife and a mom, it's a phenomenal thing. All of that to say, I understand the first part of your question. None of that is a justification or an explanation of why you can take your foot off the gas and chase your dream. You got to go get the work that you can get to provide for your family um, and maybe let go of your dream and come back to it later. So what would be a
0: few short pieces of counsel that you would give to this man as he potentially considers maybe teaching? In fact, likely teaching is not my thing. What would you tell him to, to do in light of that?
1: <clears throat> Go get a job. <laughs> and, and Just start applying yeah. for jobs. And, and I'm not trying what's... to be funny or crass or cold. It's, yeah, find opportunities, a job, somebody might offer you a job. That is a gift, by the way. (laughs) That is a gift. That is from the Lord offering you a job. Go take that job. Start earning money, and you might find you just fell into a career that you absolutely love, and you become the CEO someday or whatever. That's how we all ended up where we are, um, is that kind of circumstance.
2: Yeah, and I would uh, just add a few specific thoughts to this specific question. Um, I would say Chris, again, uh, has an incredible series where he talks about a man and how a man is uh, just singularly called in the Bible to be a protector, a provider, and a leader. So I would really commend that to your attention because I think it outlines all of the biblical bases for those specific roles for a man. And I think that will be helpful just in terms of understanding you know, just how a man can go out and be a provider. Second thing that I would, I would say is, you know, determining God's sovereign will for your life, if you're talking about the secret will of God or the revealed will of God, if you're trying to figure out what that is in advance, you're going to drive yourself insane because you're never going to know. You know, the only way, you know, you know when we – actually, I should say, you know, we, we have God's will as revealed to us in Scripture But beyond that, the secret will of God, you know, we're never going to know. So uh, I would just say uh, you need to go based on the principles in Scripture. Again, seek counsel. I'm not going to, you know, obviously not knowing who you are. I can't diagnose from this question whether you're called to be a teacher or not. Maybe you are, you know, but finding that out is is an important question, and it's something you've got to determine not just on your own heart but by maybe seeking feedback from people around you, whether that is or is not – you're, uh, you know, perhaps uh, something you're going to be skilled at. Um, But, you know, these are all things to keep in mind and to consider. uh, And if you make that determination that maybe it's time to do something else, then that may be valid. But, uh, you know, again, I don't want to um, be overly prescriptive here, uh, you know, as we talk about this situation.
0: But a key thing to remember is it's it's not wrong, especially after having invested a lot of money and, and time in education, when things aren't working out, to shift direction. It's, it's not wrong to do that at all. Not It's not, wrong. A, it's not a waste or a, or, a, or a bad stewardship to become a mechanic or to enter accounting if you've trained to
2: become a lawyer or a teacher. It may be the course of wisdom. But again, you know, just even divining what step to take next, you know, that's when men like Brad would be of invaluable help to you maybe in trying to kind of process through it and figure that out.
1: And no, it would not be wrong. And nothing is for nothing. All that education and training. There may well be that ten years down the road, fifteen years down the road, you're involved in the church, and you're handed a Sunday school class, and you know how to teach, and it clicks. So nothing is for nothing. Yeah. Even though God's plan is,
0: as it relates to each one of us individually, is mysterious. There's never any waste. It's correct. In that providence. That's good. Another question here, uh, is hard labor better than creative work? I have worked as a writer as well as a laborer in a warehouse. These are very different kinds of work. I felt that being creative was being more like God, who is the creator, more so than doing manual work, which requires no imagination, but is nonetheless a worthy way of earning living. How should we view these differences? Is there any kind of priority given to one kind of labor, in other words, than another? One is working with creative ability of the mind. The other one is working with the brute strength of his
1: his hands. I don't think there is any hierarchy. I don't think you can say creative work is better um, than uh, hard labor. I, 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 I just thought of Job 7, one: is not man forced to labor on earth and are, are not his days like the days of a hired man? That's the lot of our life, whether you're um, doing physical labor or you're doing creative work. You're a hired man. Now, I will tell you, it's a very good thing that I wasn't called to manual labor because I'd be done by now. Um, You know, I I broke my neck 28 years ago. There was no way I could do physical labor. And I have no hesitation saying to you that that elevated me to a, a higher level of work than I would have done otherwise um, if I was doing manual labor. And by the way, some of the landscape people who who labor under the sun are some of the most creative people I've ever met. God's so gonna- creation is evident in all the work you do. It is all ordained um, through your work, and what you do is creative because God is your God, and he created you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think there's a better or worse type of work. And I think in all of these areas, you can honor the Lord and glorify God, you know, just working and working well and working hard. Now, I will say that especially in this country, there is a question of stewardship. And I would refer you to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You know, stewardship, this this idea of stewardship is – using the talents that God has given you to the maximum extent. And so it may be that God has gifted you with a great deal of creativity, and you're able to use that creativity in a way that grants you great success, allows you to be a provider. And if you can use those talents that God has given you in that stewardship, praise the Lord. And, and it may be uh, that that's the right thing for you. And it may be, again, in this country, there's so many additional manifold different ways of making a living than there are in, in certain other countries that are perhaps less uh, technologically advanced. And so, you know, these are ways that you can kind of figure out, uh, hey, you know, I have a, a skill or a talent at doing this. And, and, you know, maybe this is a way that I can uh, advance myself, work, honor the Lord, and, and be a good steward of the gifts that God has given me.
0: Yeah, and when when we talk about this, these kinds of labor, I'm often drawn to the example of the Apostle Paul, who had the most brilliant mind when it comes to the the data of Christianity, you know, the the truth, and we see that come through in a letter like Romans, and yet at the same time, he was not afraid to use his hands in in what would be a very difficult artisan trade of leatherworking, which would have been very debilitating to his hands, which is probably a reason why he writes in Galatians, this is why I'm writing with such large letters. His hands would have been calloused. And more than that, as a leather worker, you spend so much time bent over around or over a table cutting materials and sewing them together. And that was the Apostle Paul, and he did not at all look at that as something shameful. So you have that both, the creative genius of his mind combined with his his shamelessness in working to cover his own expenses by, by doing something as, we might say, as simple as cutting leather and sewing it together. Good answers. Let me transition to a question we've, we just briefly touched on a minute ago, and that has to do with the wife and, and the concept of a career outside the home for, for a wife. And here's the question is it acceptable for the wife to have a career outside the home or even just a part-time job? And what issues must a husband and wife consider when making the decision that the wife can or should pursue a
1: career or take on a new job? Chris, This ahead. one's not controversial at all, so I'll <laughs> jump in. Um, no, I don't think it's wrong for a wife to have a part-time job or even to work outside the home. Okay, having said that, again, you... you you can't elevate this question to be the most important question with because you ha- it has to fall under um, who she is, who God created her to be, who God created the man to be, and how the- God designed them to live together. And if you look at the role of a woman, it all- starts in Genesis, goes all the way um, until the Lord takes us home, that God created a woman not exclusively but primarily to be a wife, to love her husband, mm-hmm. to love her children, And to be a worker at home, there's the controversial part. It's not controversial in the Bible, by the way. No controversy there. That's her priority. That's not exclusively who she is. And there are women who can do those three things adequately, sufficiently, and excellently and still work outside the home. Um, The problem comes in when a a woman steps outside of the leadership of, of her husband to do that. And that's where we talk about the role of a man, to lead, provide, and protect. And men, you you are called to lead and to protect um, your wife and family and to um, provide for her. And so I throw that back on you. What should they consider? Uh, Husband and wife have to talk about it. And the husband has to talk about it from the standpoint of loving her as Christ loves the church. And not putting her out in a place where she is being walked into sin, where she is being encouraged or even allowed to give up what is excellent for that which might be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about the excellent part of, of who God's called her to be. And one more thing. Proverbs 31 talks about an incredible woman. Right. Her name is Anne Hamilton. No. <laughs> I had to say that in case she saw that. No. Um, no, and, and is incredible, and I, I have a feeling all three of us would say this, that each of our wives were, went beyond just being a wife, a mom, and a worker at home, that they demonstrated skills outside of that. But even the Proverbs 31 woman, as you read that carefully, all of her efforts are under the umbrella of who God is and the man that God put in her life to protect her, to lead her, and to provide for her.
2: That's right. And Chris, you really, you know, Titus 2 3 through 5 is what I was going to read. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young woman to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And that's such a key verse when it comes to uh, the role of a wife. And you know, as Chris said, and we even we see the example in proverbs thirty one of a godly woman who also uh, has business efforts and endeavors out, you know out that take her outside of the home even but to chris 's point again, that is done in concert with and in under the leadership of her husband and you know the answer is not that the proverbs thirty one woman is doing all of the work and the husband just sitting around idle you know far far be it you know from that that you know ultimately I think that um you know, we need to remember that, you know, this focus is with, that we see in Titus 2, 3 through 5 is on loving your husband, loving your children, being a worker at home. And, you know, that, that focus, if you're able to excel in those areas and then, you know, do more than that, you know, and again, you know, in concert with and in discussion with and, uh, you know, under the uh, leadership of her husband, then praise the Lord but it's it's a it's look even those three things to love your children love your husband and be a worker at home that that's a lot in and of itself yep and
0: even connected to that sometimes you know men create the problem for themselves that they'll only realize they'll reap the consequences years down the road when when they early on will disparage the wife and her activity in the home uh, they will treat it as if it's not real work uh, they'll look down on it and and never give any kind of recognition for it. And that can lead a, a wife to begin thinking that, yeah, you know what, what I do here at home isn't meaningful. And then all of a sudden she's thinking of trying to find something that will be pleasing to her husband's sight.
2: Yeah, and that in is that. insanity and counterproductive, let me tell you. I, I, for the first time ever... Uh, for 48 hours, I was alone with my three young children uh, to take care of them. And boy, do I have a greater appreciation for my wife, you know, and what she does every day.
0: Yeah, that's good. And, and if I can add even another aspect here, if you as a, as a husband are, are setting your goal as, as some kind of materialistic, uh, you know, you've got a materialistic goal, you want that bigger house that Motorcycle, that speedboat, you know whatever it may be you 're going to start to put pressure on your wife to to get that extra job so that you can afford some of those things and, and by doing that, you can force your wife to do something that 's even against her conscience. she wants to be at home, but because of your materialistic goals you 're forcing her to work, and there 's a lot of strife that will come uh, from that and so part of this too is just recognizing, okay, d- does my wife need to go outside the home? Is there a real legitimate reason for this and especially if she has no desire to get an extra job we got to go back and say where can we cut the expenses so that my wife doesn't need to do that so that she can live as she was created to live as as a wife as a homemaker as a as a raiser of children and then see what the lord will do after that
2: you know and you know just and I know this is one of the other questions you had mentioned Brad but um you know I know that can be tough in southern california right and You know, just weighing this, and and I think Brad raises the point in terms of being in consideration of your standard of living and, you know, maybe you're able to do certain things differently in order to accommodate that. Uh, You know, just you you may want to consider moving. You know, look, I I don't think that's something that's beyond the pale or out of the question for people to consider and take into account. You know, that might be better for certain individual households. But, you know, I I would say uh, I get that we live in a very expensive area but sometimes it can just be a little too easy of a dodge of the underlying questions and issues to just say, oh, well, we live in Southern California, so of course we both have to work. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to get to that one in just a minute. But before we do, I want to ask one more question related uh, specifically to the wife working outside the home, and it was, it's this. Is it acceptable for a wife to be the primary wage earner in the home? Uh, we're seeing that more and more even among Christians. Are there – any problems with being a stay-at-home husband or father? What do you say to that?
2: I mean, I think that, um, you know, this is a really challenging question. And I think that the problem is that it sets up certain dynamics that if you're not extremely careful and are not really cognizant of, you know, will, will lead to potentially very bad fruit later on in the marriage. Because, uh, you know, ultimately... You know, we've seen this situation happen uh, for a season on occasion, and you know, I, I think that to the extent that both people are in agreement, the husband is perhaps setting himself up for uh, you know a season of of uh, higher education that will enable him to be the primary breadwinner in a greater way in the future. Look, I'm not going to say that's sinful, you know, if, especially if they've come together and agreed uh, for a season to do that. But I think that if you do that, and boy. You know, I have a ton of respect for guys who, you know, are in that situation and say, look, I'm still going to be, you know, working, you know, even if it means that I'm working uh, and going to school. And it, maybe it takes me a longer period of time to go to school. You know, that that's a really honorable decision, too. But I think the danger is that it sets up these dynamics where, again, the woman as the primary breadwinner inevitably is going to have certain thoughts about, wow, well, you know, then why do we need a budget? You know, what, why, why should I listen? You know, what, I'm, I'm bringing in the money. You know, why shouldn't I have a bigger say in, you know, how to spend this money? And, you know, the husband, it sets up a situation where there is kind of a danger of being, uh, you know, unable to lead as effectively or to perhaps lose some credibility in his leadership. So, uh, you know, these are all things that you have to consider very carefully. Now, there are other situations where a husband might be permanently disabled, you know, and of course, in that situation there, you know, there may be, look, uh, each situation is different. And, you know, God has called you to lead that specific family, that specific uh, marriage, And so, again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but, again, uh, so many times I think that this can be just um, a question that is not adequately weighed and considered. And, again, seek counsel, study the Word of God, pray. You know, these are all vital things in the life of any Christian when it comes to uh, making an important decision like this.
0: So you identified two very practical situations, one in which the husband is going to pursue more training, and and therefore his wife becomes for a time, a season, the the primary wage earner, or in the case of disability, some kind of health uh, problem that has sidelined the, the man, the husband from work, and the family requires some kind of income, and so the wife goes out in that case while the man is ill and unable to work, and she goes on to work. Chris, would you add anything to that, or would you give any more counsel to to that situation?
1: Yeah, I, I, just to add to what Hans said, I think in the long run, I'm going to say what's hard to say here. Yes, that's a problem. Yeah, That is a problem. Yeah. And I'll say it for, for two reasons. One is, you're you're potentially giving up the God-designed role of a man, and you're missing out on the blessing of being the primary provider for your family. And you may be putting your wife in a position where at the end of her life, she will have missed out on the amazing blessing of living life according to the design that God created her to do. Amen. Not exclusively, but primarily. And all of this, you know, I sound like I keep going back to Genesis 2 and 3 because I keep going back to Genesis Mm -hmm. 2 and 3. It's where God set Mm -hmm. the design for his creation. Mm -hmm. The one verse that said God created the heavens and the earth, speaks to the total and complete authority of that creator. He created all of this. He gets to make the rules. And those of you raising children, I'll I'll say this. I know we're we're probably going to get to questions about this, but even if your children reject Christ, if you teach them to live according to the rules that God gave them to live, they can live a blessed life. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what you want? Well, that's what your wife's parents wanted for her. That's what your parents wanted for you. And I think in the long term to flip positions is, is directly contrary to God's design. And I have a problem with that. And the second part of that is if you have children, you can teach them biblical truth all day long and they're going to watch how you're living life and you're going to confuse them. And you're giving them what is not a multiple choice um, test. You're giving them multiple choices. Where the Bible says, God's design, this is how you live.
0: And it, it really is a matter of faith. We must believe that God, in his wisdom, when he designed man a certain way and woman a certain way, and then gave us his will on their lives, as much as uh, contemporary conventional wisdom, the wisdom of this world might say otherwise. We must believe that God knows what he's doing, and there's a reason why he has planned it that way, and we must believe that we will receive the greatest reward and gratification from following that, even if it is against all the currents of the contemporary
1: culture. Really well said. Yeah. And, and for just one more thing. If you're anything like me, guys, at some point or at several points, you're looking at yourself in the mirror saying, I am such a failure. I am so not good at this. I am not doing this well. And that's also where, uh, just to encourage you, you have to have confidence that the Lord designed you to do those three roles and fix what's wrong, but keep doing those roles. Don't step out of it and say, I just can't do it. My wife's better at it. Han, you had something to do? No, I'll defer,
0: actually. Okay. All right. No, 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 it's fine. we have a lot of related questions here, so you'll, you'll get an opportunity yet on here. So, uh, Another question is this. The cost of living, and you actually started answering this one, so I'm going to look to you for filling out that answer. Uh, the, the question is this. The cost of living in Southern California is exceedingly high. This reality is often cited as the reason for having dual-career homes, husband and wife as full-time wage earners, and for having small families, if any, and perhaps no children at all, Is this approach acceptable for us as Christians in order to survive here in Southern California?
2: Yeah, and, you know, I did start to answer that question in the sense of, you know, I think there's other things we can consider, uh, you know, in terms of trying to cut expenses or living in a different way, uh, you know, perhaps to um, do that. Now, when it comes to the question of children, I look at Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And this entire psalm talks about the joy and benefit and blessing of, of children and numerous children even. And so, you know, again, I know that uh, having children is a stewardship issue, as I referenced uh, Matthew 25 as well to some extent. But, uh, you know, I do think that a lot of times, um, you know, this question about, oh, we only have one child or we don't want to even have any children at all. If you listen to scripture, children are a blessing. And, you know, I would say who doesn't want more blessing on some levels? I think that that's an important concept to internalize. And, you know, we've been talking about the Lord will make a way. You have to maybe think about other uh, avenues, whether it's cutting expenses, maybe it's, you know, just of, you know, strategizing about maybe finding a better paying job or working more hours, you know. Or again, you know, in, in certain situations, you know, you might want to consider going to a different lower cost of living area, you know, that's not an out of the question consideration. For a man who's looking at the entire sweep and scope of these types of questions, I think you should be looking at the entire landscape and being strategic. Um, But, you know, again, I I think that, um, you know, when you look at the scriptures in Titus 2, 3 through 5 is one thing we've talked about, you know, I think that there is a lot of defaulting to cultural norms rather than processing prayerfully, thoughtfully, scripture-filled, in a way that, uh, you know, I think, uh, to find out what would most honor the Lord in this, in your life.
0: It's one of the things we'll see yet in our study of Proverbs as we look at Proverbs and wealth uh, is that there's several statements in the book of Proverbs, the the better than statements, and several times it's emphasized better to be a poor man and to have integrity than to be a rich man in, in right, unrighteousness and things of that nature. And, we have to trust again that it will be better to live in a poor neighborhood. It will be better to have to have to work more hours. It'll be better to, to be satisfied with a lower standard of living, and to fulfill God's roles according to Scripture. than it will be to only do so superficially and attain all of the, 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 the goals of the rich and famous. So I think that's really helpful. Uh, what you said: reevaluate your, your budget. Do you really need all that you're aiming for? Work more hours if you need to. Uh, consider moving, considering a career change. But what should be really last on your radar should be any kind of tinkering with the very clear, clearly revealed roles that God has given for the man and the woman in the home. Is that right, Chris?
1: That's
0: okay. well said. All right. Um well, we've got a lot of questions to get through. You know, I'm going to come back to this one in a, at the end about balance of work outside and work inside. Um, a few more practical questions here related to, to the family that I will ask. One of them is this. I am hoping to get married within the next two to three years. What are some milestones that I need to have in place, biblically and financially, before tying the knot? So someone's looking to, to get married. What counsel do you give them in terms of work in particular?
2: Chris, you're doing this right now with uh, people. Why don't you go ahead?
1: Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Financially, what young what I tell young men is, and this goes to work. um, You know, I'm a father of three daughters, so I have a little bit of expertise on this. But I I tell them you probably want to be able to tell the father of the young lady you want to marry that you can afford first and last month's rent and uh, a honeymoon, and uh, um, at minimum, and a and a and a ring and you 'd be amazed how many young men men hear that, and it revolutionizes their life <laughs> and Before we laugh too hard at them, I think it probably revolutionized most of our lives because that 's when we got serious about life yeah. that 's when life got real. God brought that woman in in front of us, and we knew she was the one, and and I wanted to make a life with her and, and now all of a sudden that paycheck means something and it 's not just a way to fund. Um, you know, a weekend of going to the movies or, or whatever. It was for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to get married financially, you need to be at a place where you can do have those three things in the bank mm-hmm. and then the ability to care for a wife who might get pregnant on the honeymoon. Mm-hmm. We've seen that at Grace Church, right? We know people that we've walked through premarital and we tell them that and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then 10 months after the wedding... <laughs> They're down to one income. Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to intimidate anybody out of getting married, but I think that's just practical reality. And I'm amazed how um, – and, and there's some wisdom in there I, I recognize, and I'm amazed how many young men don't have even that level of wisdom in yeah. looking at that.
2: Now, that's, I think that's well said. I have two verses for you, First uh, Timothy 5, eight. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is – worse than an unbeliever. And then the next uh, you know, verse I would want to say is, uh, is in 1 Timothy again, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, which is, for we, have brought, um, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with the, these, we shall be content. So I think at a bare minimum, like Chris was saying, where are you guys going to live? That, that's going to be one form of covering, right, in terms of your dwelling you know, in clothing. How are you going to pay for clothes? How are you going to pay for food? You know, these are very practical considerations. Again, I do think that it's typical in our culture, it is a cultural thing, to have a ring. You know, maybe if the gal and her parents don't need that, you know, maybe you won't need to, but that would be a pretty rare gal and parents, right? You know, these are all practical considerations, but, you know, I do think that the culture does tack on a lot of unnecessary things or maybe some unrealistic additional oh you know I've heard some people people say oh you need to own a house and have a nice car you know that that's nonsense you know I don't think that's that's nothing in scripture you're going to find that might be a person's you know rather materialistic preference but that's not what scripture says now, with that said, you are courting and, and pursuing a specific woman, and she's going to have in her life usually specific father and mother, and uh, you know there may be some things that they would like to see. And I know that, again, if she is a Christian, which she ought to be if you're pursuing her and you're a Christian, then her, she's going to want to honor her father and mother as well. And so these are all, again, practical considerations to take into, into um, account when you're uh, making this uh, type of decision. I've
0: I've heard some some balloons popped here. They thought there were some men here who thought you could just live off love, and you guys are saying that's not possible. Not quite. You know,
1: I've never tried that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but I, I do like the idea of of you know when when a guy comes to ask your daughter, and I have three of them, you know, ask for the last three months of, of their uh, paychecks and see whether they can uh, support. Uh, but there's a lot. Is of that wisdom. a problem? Somebody laughed. Oh, is Oh yeah. am uh, no, but kidding. but put it the other way, you know, and and, and as dads uh, who have daughters, and you do as well, Han, That 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 is one of the things. So if you're a young man thinking you're you're about to ask a, a, a some a father for uh, his daughter's hand in marriage, you better be able to to demonstrate that you can take care of her. Because the whole purpose of the the father walking the daughter down the aisle is to hand her off and say, "Now you are the one to supply all of her needs, and if you can't do that, don't ask don't come and ask me for my daughter's hand if if you can't do that because you're just you're not taking it seriously, and I know what's going to happen in a in a, in a couple of months or even a couple of years is that either you're going to go through all kinds of financial hardships and I'll have to not only support my daughter, but you, sluggard. But it, it it tells me immediately what you think of marriage, that you're treating it so carelessly, and that tells me, you know what? As soon as problems come, where is this guy going to go? What's he going to do?
2: Brad, we should get you over to the college and career ministry, because uh, that, that sounds like a sermon right Preach there. Preach it. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I just have daughters that age, so I've been thinking a lot about this recently. So we'll leave it at that. So... Let's talk about young kids for just a moment here. And the question is this. How can I motivate my children to serve and work hard in the home? As much as I try to set a good example and give instruction, they often do not pay attention and they have a hard time accepting counsel. I don't know what this guy's weird family, weird family. I know I'm not getting this. I'm just just not computing here. So maybe you guys can (laughs) shed some light on this one.
1: Uh, yeah, but... Chris, tell me what
0: you did,
2: man. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know.
0: when, when they do their work, they do not do it with quality or from the heart. Yeah, that's what we all face. So here's the key question. How can I change
1: this? I'm not kidding. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, first thing I would say is pray for your children. Amen. And uh, put the gospel ever before them. Uh, this is much easier when they're saved. It is not impossible if they're not saved, but by God's grace, if your children are saved, it's easier to call them to the design that God created for them. But even if they're not saved, you should be calling them to the design that God uh, created for them, and that is to be a worker, whether it's a son or a daughter. And you should be able to articulate that work is good, that work is a fact of life, work is hard, work is purposeful. It's important to talk about this with your children, and I say this. On great authority, because the first seven chapters of Proverbs, if you look at it, it says, "My son," I think seventeen times. It's first seven chapters is a dialogue between his father, a father, and his children. You should read that sometimes through that eyes, especially chapter five. I we used to read Proverbs every night at dinner. If it was uh, the first of the month, we would read Proverbs one. If it was the second, it would be Proverbs two, and I always. Just cringed when it was the fifth and the seventh of the month. And if you know it's in Proverbs 5 and 7, you know why. I didn't look forward to dinner with three daughters. Um, it, but all that to say, you need to say this stuff out loud. Um, what you're hearing from Brad should be conveyed to your children. Um, it's 2 Timothy two two. A faithful man is handing the baton to you. Pick it up and take it home and hand it off. Say this stuff out out loud and then live it. And this was uh, my dear wife's exhortation to me. Stop complaining about work. First of all, it doesn't help me. I want to know that you enjoy your work when I'm here at home with the kids all day. And second of all, there's three little girls listening to you. Wow. And, and so live it. Um, remember work is a gift and put all the, the other attitudes away out of your home and, and, and live this in front of your children. I'm not, saying, I'm not handing you the silver bullet, but I am giving you um, what the Bible says to do in Proverbs. And the other thing is, remember, outside of your intervention and that of your wife, you will, you will raise fools. And I say that on the authority of Scripture because that's what Proverbs says. Because you and I are fools if we don't learn wisdom the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom and a good understanding of those who obey the word of God. Those are all linked. A fear of God, wisdom, and obedience.
2: No, that's great, Chris, and uh, I said I wasn't kidding because I'm going through some of this right now with my, you know, our oldest is five, and, you know, she's a just a wonderful kid, and we just love her so much. She's made a profession of faith, and... You know so we you know we do pray for her, uh, we do go over the scriptures with her about work and and you know we do go over the proverbs with her and and uh, but yeah, it's still a struggle you know because she's five right, <laughs> and you know that that's been um you know we have also been trying to tell her about the necessity of work. Uh, you know, we're trying to even show her, you know, just she can earn a little bit, a tiny bit of money, you know, just by this is the pattern of life. You know, workmen as do their wages and, uh, you know, all of these, you know, different, you know, both disincentives and incentives. But, you know, ultimately it does come down to the heart and, you know, that uh, kind of trying to instill that uh, love of hard work or that willingness to hard work. I'll say love of hard work, trying to instill that in them is a challenge, but um, you know what I even though we're uh, dealing with this right now, my desire, my hope my prayer is that if we're consistent over the course of time that it will be uh, that it will bear fruit because we know his word does not return void um, but the other thing I would say, and this is something that you know my youngest is one and he's we have one son and he's one, uh, and I have to be mindful about this because i'm not a big work with my hands. Um, Kind of guy myself, but I really want to be mindful of uh, when he gets older. I want to do manual labor with my son, you know, and, and with my daughters too, but like, you know, even more so with my son, because, you know, whether he ends up in a manual trade or not, you know, I want him to understand that that type of good, hard work is honorable mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, it, it, there, there's a different type of satisfaction. Uh, I would say, even in my own life when you know and this isn 't something do, I do all the time, but like there is this level of satisfaction when you 're tired and sweaty from having done a hard portion of work, and uh, you know that 's something that I would like my son ideally to to be aware of, even though like i 'm going to have to be intentional about this i know
0: yeah that 's good, so to the dad who wrote this question as you 've heard, keep instructing. Keep modeling and just persevere. And that's that's the best advice you can have. And 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 Han, as you said, God's word will not return void. Now, you know, we can quote the proverb, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And there's debate over exactly what does that mean. And, and certainly there's no silver bullet to ensuring that our children will become saved when they get older. But there is that general promise that if you condition them... When they are clay in your hands, as God has given you to do, uh, there's a lot that you can do. It's not going to be visible immediately, but with time, you will leave that impact on them. I'll transition here a little bit and talk more about what's going on in the culture. Uh, There's a lot of talk today. This is one of the questions that came in from uh, related to this. There's a lot of talk today about the country's drift into socialism. This talk is not just the focus of conspiracy theories but is actually advocated by very influential politicians. What is socialism and how does it impact our view of work? Now you grew up and were trained in a yeah. bastion of liberalism sure. where
2: socialism I'm sure is is very popular. So Han, why don't we start with you? Yeah. I mean, technically, socialism would be the ownership of the means of production by the government. Uh, but I think it's as a concept expanded beyond that technical definition, where you know ultimately it's um, you know it's not just the liberal welfare state uh, that's been prominent in the you know Western civilization for some decades, although that is the, I would say, the seed of it. You know, it's this notion increasingly of, you know, universal basic income where you get free money without having to work. You know, and and the thing that I, you know, these types of kind of, um, you know, it's this notion of uh, you're hearing it more and more diversity, inclusion and equity. And especially when you hear equity, what they're talking about is equality of outcome as opposed to equality of opportunity. And, you know, what you see in the Bible is equality of opportunity. You see equal justice. You, you see, the, neither, Leviticus 19.15, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm going to call it up. Uh, you know, it's just such a powerful verse, and it's an example of what God considers justice, and Leviticus 19.15 says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That is an encapsulation of equal justice. That, you know, it's not just all about, you know, this oppressor-oppressed dynamic that we're hearing more and more in society, which is the notion of critical theory or critical race theory. or It has very many different names that it's going by. But that is increasingly what we are seeing in this country and especially from Democrats and people on the left. And, you know, as we see this, we have to understand that these concepts are overtly anti-biblical. Again, if you do not work, you shall not eat. That that's a clear verse from the scriptures, in I think First Thessalonians, uh, and or it might be Second Thessalonians three. Sorry, it's yeah, it's the concept is in both First and Second Thessalonians. You know, you see this. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, this notion of hard work that we've been talking about this entire session. You know that, that you know. You look at the sluggard, the negative example of the sluggard in the proverbs, and, and we see how this notion of getting free stuff, getting something for nothing, it, that that's not a biblical concept. This notion of overtly favoring who society, in their opinion, believes is oppressed—that's not equal justice under the law. And, and you know, again, equal opportunity means that if you work hard, hopefully, you can live in a society where you can get ahead, you can do better. Whereas, you know, ultimately we see the examples of the sluggard in Scripture that that man does not get ahead. You know, quite the contrary. He, he leads a very difficult, broken life. And that's biblical. That, that is a description of what, you know, in terms of when God is talking about a just society, that's fundamental to a just society is that if you do not work, you shall not eat. And that's one example. Again, you know, obeying authority, you know, just so many times this society turns biblical concepts on their head and they reverse it. And you're getting people that are overtly saying, oh, it's okay to run away from the police. It's okay to resist the police, which is insanity. I mean, again, if you're in a fight with the person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to the guy with a gun, right? <laughs> in, in addition to the fact that we're commanded in the Bible that, look, if there's an enforcer of the law, a Romans 13 type of magistrate, that we are to submit to that authority. And, and so all of these concepts that are coming in to society is, you know, I think we are rapidly moving into a post-Christian landscape in this country. And, uh, you know, so these are all very concerning and yet we know the Lord reigns, right? We, we know he is sovereign, and God will, you know, his, his church, even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so this is a comfort to us as we even, uh, as we do lament, I would say, this country's fall and drift into these types of socialist uh, policies and anti-biblical policies. Chris, I know you have a lot to say on this topic.
1: Well, I won't say a lot because I know we're limited on time, but I, I turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's Prayer of Thanksgiving, I highly recommend it to you. It is the ultimate statement on the providence and sovereignty of God. And um, what we're seeing in our culture and in socialism, communism, Marxism, all of it, which I think is all upon us now, is a fundamental rejection of God. There's no other way to say it. It's demonic. It's satanic. It's not political. Mm -hmm. And it's the way of the world. It's fully expected. And the verse, I think, that is just astounding – to me and certainly would be to our culture is to bow before the Lord and acknowledge what Hannah says that the Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he also exalts. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you're working your entire life and you're still poor, there is no reason for bitterness towards God, nor no, no reason for bitterness towards the government or your neighbors who worked less hard than you and have more. It is a fundamental understanding that the Lord makes rich and the Lord makes poor.
2: some of the godliest men I know have worked their entire lives very hard and yet they're of modest means,
0: yes, now, just saying that Chris, you know you you say those words and and already probably some even listening here cringe when you say that because it has been such so so propagand so propagandized through the culture through education that the very idea that someone can work less than me and have more than me is a fundamental universal injustice but you just read that text so how do you deal with the person who says yeah but i we we are all to be equal in god's eyes and surely he he's either unjust in not giving us that equality or something else is is standing in the way of me achieving what god really wants me to have But I can't get. So how do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, the the equality that we all have is that before the Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ, we all deserve death. We're all sinners. Um, That's the outcome. That's the equal outcome that's deserved. And, you know, I marvel that the Lord saved me, that the Lord saved you. I had a, the best mother-in-law in the history of mankind, and she died in her sin. Heartbreaking. Why didn't the Lord save her? And you know what the greatest comfort is? Is Romans 9, that the Lord chooses. Yeah, it, it, it's all on, it's in his hands, and it couldn't be in better hands. And so, yes, I understand we have been, uh, and we are, our children are being programmed in school to expect an equal outcome. And that if someone works less than you, but has more than you, that is fundamentally unfair. And my response to that is in the same way I wrestled with the death of my, and the dying of my mother-in-law in in her sins is the same wrestling that you have to step back and say, God is God and I am not. Mm -hmm. And the, The fulfillment and the joy and the blessing of life is not in the outcome. It's in the work. That's the gift from the Lord.
2: And and I have to say, since you mentioned it, um, you mentioned schools, be very careful, very careful when you consider sending your kids to the government schools, because you know what? They're very different now than compared to when you went to public school, potentially. And so... Look, I'm not a homeschool-only type of guy. Uh, You know, there's a place for private schools, and certainly there can even be a place, if you're careful, for public schools. But you have to understand that six, seven, eight hours a day these students, sometimes as young as five years old, are being bombarded with this very propaganda we've been talking about. And you would be shocked, many of you, to know what they are teaching your kids. And this, pen, th- th- this, this coronavirus thing has actually been quite interesting in exposing you know, what some of these teachers are, are teaching. But you, you would truly be shocked. So I would urge you, if you're a parent of, of school-age children, to really equip yourself and inform yourself and, and be very careful and prayerful and wise about what you do with your kids and their education. And if again, if they are going to public school, you are going to have to be very intentional about how you shepherd them. Mm-hmm. That's a burden on my heart to say.
0: Yeah, I like what you brought out, uh, Chris, about this movement of socialism. Ultimately, it is a rejection of the freedom and sovereignty of God is what it is. It's a rebellion against that in an attempt to make God impersonal, a mere impersonal force, and to take that right that God has to do with the clay as he so pleases. That's what it all is about.
1: It's to replace God. Yeah. God says he makes rich and poor. Yeah. I'm going to run a government that says nobody's poor.
0: Yeah.
1: Let me get to a question here, and, and this is increasingly
0: common, this kind of a question, because you know, the government is is teaching its citizens to be more and more reliant and happily reliant upon government funding. So there's a lot of questions related to this, and here is one of them. I am, th- this is the question, I am making more money on unemployment benefits than I would from a part-time or a secondary job. Is it wiser not to work and receive these unemployment benefits, which do help me take care of my bills? then to work a job that would provide me less jeopardize my ability to cover my living expenses and lead me into debt. So, you know, what, what was never a possibility even maybe a generation ago is now a common thing where you can make more money living off welfare and unemployment benefits than certain kinds of jobs. And so people are just making that decision. I'm just going to live off the unemployment. Your response to that? Who wants to go first?
1: I think, uh, you know, I sit on the board of a um, company here in the L.A. area. It's a manufacturing company. Just to give you the other side of the picture. Um, They can't get people back to work because they're making more um, in unemployment. It is insidious. If you don't see the evil in that, um, take a longer look at it. And what I would say is unless there is a physical reason for you that you're disabled, stop taking the unemployment and go get work. And if you can't get work here, go to where you can get work. And why do I say that? Really two reasons. One is you're missing out on the blessing of the Lord and doing what he created you to do, and that is to work. The second thing is once you get dependent on government, you are dependent on government, and when government pulls back and stops paying that, then what are you going to do? And that will happen. I promise you that will happen. You can't have a country with $30 trillion in debt and expect that this is going to go on much longer. The music is going to stop. And when the music stops, the people that have given up what God designed them to do to sit back and cash checks with nothing behind them, um, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. And your family, again, I'm going to go back to this, your family is watching you. The world is watching you. If you claim to be a Christian, if you're a dad, if you're a husband, your wife is watching you, get a job. Go get work. I know that's hard, but I think that's biblical.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to take a slightly different tack on this in the sense that, look, if you're in California and you're working a job, you're paying for unemployment insurance, if your job gets terminated, I don't think there's anything wrong with you drawing upon those unemployment benefits, Right. But that presumes that you are actively and aggressively looking for gainful employment. And so I think that, again, and the reason for that is because we're called to work as Christians. And hopefully, you know, even, you know, if if looking for a job is not taking you 40 hours a week, I I pray that you would be active and not idle, you know, that you would be, you know, serving, volunteering, caring for, you know, serving one another's, doing the one another's, and and helping people uh, in the church that might need, might be in need. You know, these are all things that you can presume. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the longer-term societal issues and detriments are, are very different because not everybody is gonna look at unemployment insurance like a Christian is. They're gonna milk it for everything it's worth and they're gonna they're gonna be idle. And so I think that um, you know, I don't think that it necessarily should convict you or be against your conscience to uh, receive unemployment benefits that you've paid in for uh, to some extent. But the question is what you're doing during that time period. I think that's really important. And I think a lot of times, again, people just go on autopilot. They go on what kind of a cultural expectation may be rather than what a biblical understanding might be.
0: Yep. And again, it comes back to this, this basic understanding of work. Uh, the the value of work comes in the not or, or the esteem that we are to attach to work doesn't come from the the money that might come in the term in terms of a paycheck. It's to come in terms of obeying the Lord's design for my life and being productive for others, and not just drawing upon uh, others to take care of me. Now, related to that, and and this is a li- even uh, this is a little more tricky, this question here. It's a longer one, and I know our time is uh, we are getting near the end here. So many good questions. Let me ask you uh, your, your counsel on this one. Given the vast array of government assistance that is available here in L.A. County, things like uh, health insurance, food stamps, child tax credits, how should Christian men who are diligent in their labor determine which, if any, of these programs to participate in? For example to refuse these programs, these government handouts, and provide for my family on my own, I would need to work very, very difficult hours. However, I can work more reasonable hours as a, as a diligent man, provide for my family by taking advantage of these benefits for low-income families. When is dependency on this assistance harmful or unwise?
1: Chris, maybe again, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think the, that key word is dependence. Uh, when you're dependent on something that isn't um, from your own efforts, you're at risk. Um, and, and I would say we go back to Second um, Thessalonians 4, if you don't work, you don't eat. That reality, if you're not experiencing that reality because you're living off of the benefits of the government, we call that in accounting a timing difference. You might be okay today. But Proverbs 6 says that your um, poverty will come in like a thief. Um, and when those um, um, benefits end, when the music stops, um, what are you going to do then? And I think you have to live a purposeful life and keep that in mind. Um, you know, Second Corinthians 5, I think it's verse 9, says you should make it your ambition to please the Lord. And what's pleasing to the Lord is to live in obedience to, um, to his commands. And, you know, the, the work that's going to make you work difficult hours, I understand that. We all understand that. We all do that on occasion. Um, there is honor in that. There's virtue in that. And there's a, you said it really well, um, really good thought that it's an act of faith sometimes to obey. And to work those extra hours and to trust the Lord that he's going to give you the ability to lead and guide your family in spite of those difficult hours.
2: Yeah, and I would answer this question by focusing a little bit, again, a different spin on stewardship. But I would also look at these categories, each of them potentially a little bit differently. You know, child tax credits. Look, the government takes enough of my my money from taxes, in my opinion. And if I can use every legal way, legitimate way – uh, you know, honest way to reduce my tax burden, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm not – and I, my conscience is clear yeah. in doing that. And look, if they're going to – if the government in its very rare uh, – you know, if the, if the government is is forwarding a child-friendly policy in some way, look, look that is uh, – I, I, I would be pleasantly surprised, you know, and I'll take that benefit because this society increasingly is anti-children as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that would be one category. Uh, food stamps, I'm, I'm, I'm much more hesitant of, for the exact reason of the if you do not work, you shall not eat, and, you know, again, if you're destitute and and you're desperate, and you know, you you've got this situation, and and you know, uh, again, I'm not going to condemn you for that, but again, the problem is this dependency point that Chris exactly raised. You know, th- this is. It becomes a dependency, and, you know, there are ways of, of looking other, elsewhere for that if you want to try to, you know, really mm-hmm. live in an honorable, increasingly honorable way. And, you know, health insurance, again, that may be in an, another car- category as well. You know, just I think that people have different views on insurance as, as a general matter, but, you know, health insurance, to the extent that this is a discounted rate, and it's offered to all people. You might consider, yeah, maybe, maybe I could take that. I, I don't know, but I think each analysis, you know, part of being a Christian is being thoughtful and, you know, really looking at things carefully. And there may be different categories going on here too.
0: So we have to be, we do have to be good stewards. We have to look into the opportunities that are legally provided, but at the same time consider the impact both on our own lives and our children's lives through certain practices. As well as look at the impact on society yeah. in terms of constantly being the, the one to, to require the constant raise of taxes to pay for yeah. those kinds of benefits.
2: Brad, my biggest concern just – you know, what I've seen you know, just observing, you know, the people generally speaking, even Christians – and again, this is a generalization. It's not this in every case. But the people that are trying to maximize their receipt of government benefits – you know I would say 80 to 90 percent of cases end up in this dependency spiral and, and yeah. it's really not healthy and it's not good and they have not typically achieved good outcomes and, and I would say that's true not only financially but also spiritually yeah. so that, that's my real life concern mm-hmm. and, and so again, it, it, if you're like I said about unemployment, if there's a season and you've paid into unemployment insurance you're diligent. You're, you know, and you're trying to get off of that empl- unemployment as soon as possible. Praise the Lord, you know. But it, it's it's just the entire outlook on the question, and even you know how you take advantage of these benefits. I think implicates a lot of questions and implicates a person's spiritual maturity. I would even say. And
1: okay. Second Thessalonians four details what happens with people who don't work. Yeah. What happens in their life? Their life becomes undisciplined. They become busybodies and Busy says there's a whole terrible list. And it's interesting. American Enterprise Institute did a study they finished in 2015 uh, and published a book called Men Without Work. Hmm. They had no idea. AI is godless. They're, they're not a Christian organization. They have no idea. It's about a 100-page book laying out their study of American culture, which in 2015, there were 62 million people without work who were fully employable and not looking for work. And they studied those 62 million people, and you could have given them 2 Thessalonians 4 as an outline, increased crime, increased um, divorce, increased death and disability. Um, it was, it's a mess. And, and that's on a macro level, and I promise you the Bible is true. And part of the consequences to your to a lack of obedience to work will be manifest in your life in very negative ways.
0: Yeah, it was Spurgeon who said the lazy man tempts the devil to tempt him.
1: Yes. very you well know.
0: said. So that was Spurgeon. That wasn't me. I couldn't come up with that.
1: <laughs> I'm going to quote you on oh, that. Oh no, no, don't do that. I heard you, I heard you no, say it. That was Spurgeon. <laughs>
0: Uh, We have time for maybe one or two more questions here, Uh, and this is an important question, especially, again, in in today's uh, situation where we have lockdown and and whatnot all closed down of the economy on, on different levels. And the question is this, should Christians participate in the shadow economy? In other words, that workplace that is not regulated and taxed by the government. That's a that's a tough one. So, who wants to take this one? You guys are lawyers and accountants, so I'm 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 And more most importantly, you're elders, you're believers. So, I'm
2: Let me hear the answer to this one. I guess I'm still not entirely clear on what the shadow economy is. You know, maybe maybe I'm um
1: In other words, being paid under the table, doing be, work that
0: Yep. So, yeah. you you you're just you're just getting your salary. It's it's not being taxed. It's all cash or it's all under the table. Uh, the, the government doesn't even know about it, and it's your way to avoid taxation, It's uh, to, to avoid all the, the uh, oversight well, of the government. regulations, regulations right. workers' word, comp yeah, insurance, All those kinds of things. Is, yeah. that a, is that a good thing?
2: Yeah, well, I'm no fan of government regulation, but I will say each Christian has an obligation to be honorable and honest before the Lord, right? And so if you receive income... Uh, you know whether your employer reports it or not, or whether your employer is taking all of the right uh, steps. You, you still received income, and so you know if you want to be uh, honest and not deceptive, I, I think that you know I, I would say you should report it. You know, and you don't have to. You know, the IRS doesn't necessarily get into detail about your sources of you know supplemental income, right? As long as you report it, a lot of times <laughs> they're not necessarily going to care. But um, you know, I, I would say uh, to the extent they do an investigation and this leads to uncomfortable questions for your employer that that's, that's on him. You know, I think that that's, you know, it may be that uh, things may catch up to him in that way, but uh, you know, certainly I, I, I just, I wouldn't, um, you know, again, I, I would say that uh, there's an obligation as a Christian to be uh, to, to not bear a false witness and to, uh, to submit to the governing authorities in that way. But, you know, again, that's, that's, uh, I would say that's from a lawyer's perspective. Maybe my accountant friend can say something. Uh.
1: Well, yeah, and I am an accountant. I get asked to talk about money all the time. So I, years ago, I did a study of the Bible and basically figured out there's five things the Bible says you're supposed to use your money for. And one of them is pay taxes, and it's really clear. Um, and I think you have an issue of obey, obedience, not just to the Lord, but to the government in an area that God has delegated them the authority jesus christ affirm the authority of the government to assess taxes and um so i think you have to be really careful on this one and if your conscience is bothering you i think you should not be involved in the shadow economy that's good
0: well it is time i think to wrap uh, up our conversation here thank you chris and han for spending the evening with us There are a lot more questions we could ask, and we could go till midnight, but we will uh, let the men go home. But before we do, I I do want to uh, briefly ask you men how can we pray for you as elders in the church, as well as husbands,
2: fathers, and workers in society? Well, just the foremost prayer request that my wife and I always have is just for the salvation of our three young children. And, uh, you know, again, our oldest has made a profession of faith, so maybe prayers that that would be genuine and she would bear much fruit, uh, you know, that that would be wonderful. Um, if you could pray for me, I, I, I have been uh, a little bit uh, burdened down by what I would call the cares of the world, just, you know, many different things. Uh, you know, I've just Again, I I just got a new job, uh, many, uh, you know, just things around the house to deal with. And so uh, I don't want that to steal my joy. And uh, so if you could pray for me personally in that regard, that would be very, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, And, yeah, just uh, those are the two things that spring to my mind right now. And just pray for our church, I would say, because, boy, uh, you know, we are so thrilled to be here. We are so thrilled to be able to meet. Uh, we, We are so thrilled just to be able to have a bold, courageous witness for Christ in an increasingly hostile society. And, and, you know, I think you're going to see more and more that our society is going to want Christians to just go away, just to shut up. And and, uh, I I would say that, um, you know, we want to stand for the truth. We want to worship the Lord and, uh, you know, just... uh, But that's, you know that that comes with consequences and that those consequences include uh, increasingly hostility not only from the world but even from other professing believers so uh, in some cases so i would say yeah please pray for our church pray for pastor john uh, and pray for the the elders we really covet your prayers
1: yeah and for me I, the second part of what he said is what i was going to say just i am consumed in my prayer life for grace church for you for me for the elders for our pastor we have hard days ahead of us, um, but very, very good days, and we're seeing God's kingdom advanced through Grace Church, and my prayer, our prayer, I know, is that we would continue to see that to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Well, let's pray towards that end. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given to us this evening, the time that we can spend together. Uh, in a place like this and hear the wisdom that you have given to your servants. We thank you for both Chris and Han, how you have used them to impact many of our lives, how you've used them to impact the lives of countless numbers of people here at Grace Community Church. We pray that you would continue to sharpen their minds with your truth so that they might continue in even more effectively communicate wisdom Uh, to the members of this church and to other believers who come across their paths. Pray that you'd protect their integrity, protect uh, the purity of of their thinking, the purity of their lives, the purity of their families. We pray that you would give them wisdom in their own workplaces uh, to testify to the change that, that Christ has made in their lives by the way in which they work and relate to Work and how they relate to money, how they relate to people, how they relate to their families. And Father, we do pray you you would work here in special ways to bless the ministry of this church, the efforts that happen here on a daily basis, and that happen through the people uh, who are represented here. We do pray for your protection as we see the forces grow more uh, more angry at the Christian witness, we pray for boldness, especially for the men in this room, uh, that they would have the wisdom and the courage needed to stand up and to speak the truth in love, but directly and courageously without backing down, without shutting up, without going away. Give us that, that opportunity, give us that boldness that we need. Ultimately, Father, we're thankful for Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us. What an amazing work on the cross, one that is to us incomprehensible, immeasurable, and and a work in which we are the beneficiaries, unworthy, completely unworthy. And yet we live our days now, every day, and we look eternity for this to continue we live our lives as recipients of that work beneficiaries of a work that was we were not worthy of and yet you through your sovereignty and wisdom planned for us we thank you for that and we pray all of these things in the name of your son amen